If I was to ask you this morning what you knew about the book of Ezekiel, I wonder what your comments would be. Some might think, ah, that rings a bell. That's our motto text in there, Ezekiel 47.9, which says, where the river flows, everything will live. And yes, you'd be right. Some might think, ah, oh, doesn't it talk about dry bones in there somewhere? Yeah, it does. That's in chapter 37. I might do a bit more confessing here today and the first thing I'm going to confess to you is this I didn't really know much about the book of Ezekiel until um, Simon and Sally who are our life group leaders suggested maybe we studied it and so this term we've been studying the book of Ezekiel and I have to say it is one of those books which is not for the faint hearted if you've, if you've not read it I suggest you um, yeah, I don't know what I suggest, really. <laughs> it's, it's, no, it's not an easy book to read. It's very hard-hitting. It was written in between the, the 571 and 593 BC. And it was at the time when the children of Israel had been taken into Babylon as captives. And Ezekiel is looking over Jerusalem and he sees the state of what's happened to Jerusalem. And he reminds the children of Israel where they had come from. He says to them, you are an adulterous nation. You have prostituted yourself to other nations. Very hard hitting for words written all those years ago. I wonder we would use the words adultery and prostitution probably differently today. But Ezekiel reminded the people that they had come out of the, uh, into the promised land. And they should have been a nation that showed to everybody else around the goodness and the greatness of God. But they didn't. And instead they just blended in with everything else that was going on. So in the end you couldn't really tell the difference between... God's children and anybody else. And that's the type of people they'd, be hand, they'd become. So we wouldn't use, we would use the word adultery <clears throat> and prostitution in a, in a different way today. But can I fast forward you to the New Testament? Because the New Testament, it tells us that as children of God, we are the bride of Christ. And he is the bridegroom. That there's a relationship between God and man. He is the bridegroom and we are the bride. And that relationship's been broken. We have merged in with the crowd. We have fallen short of what God has called us to be. We have run after other things. We have not done the things that God wants us to do. And I wonder... If Ezekiel was here today, what would he say about us? What would he say about you, me, this church, the church? What language would he use? What's the thing too about Nehemiah? What do you know about Nehemiah? Now you might think that's that's easier. Nehemiah is the book where Nehemiah comes and he... um, builds the walls of Jerusalem he comes and he wants to get that done and you're right that did happen 
But there's a chap- in chapter 9, it talks about that Ezra comes before the people and the people come to him in sackcloth and ashes and he reminds them of what they have done wrong. And there's a verse which, I can't remember what verse it is now, but it says that for a quarter of the day, the children of Israel confess their sins before God. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us if that was 24 hours and a quarter of the day was six hours or whether it was just the, the uh, time of day, which is the light hours, so maybe 12 hours. But you just think for a moment... Even if it was a 12 hours of light, a quarter of that time, they confessed before God. That's three hours. And it got me thinking as to when was the last time that I confessed before God that length of time. See, quite often, and, and this is another confession of mine today, is the fact that there are times that when we come before God, we say, God, I am sorry for my sins. And we leave it at that. And that's partly okay. But I believe we need to name those sins. Because it's so easy for us to turn around and say, Lord, forgive me my sins. And it's easy to say sorry. But sometimes... We only say sorry because we've been found out. So can I urge you, in your own time of reflection today and in coming days, that when we come before God and we ask for uh, repentance of our sins, that we name those sins, bring it before God and say to him what it is that we've done wrong. It's too easy just to say, Lord, forgive my sins and think that's it. In Psalm it tells us as far as the east is from the west that he will forgive us our sins if we bring them, bring it to him. Ezra would have also reminded the, the children of Israel of how they had come uh, out of Egypt and when they'd gone through the Red Sea they took the stones in the middle of the Red Sea and they placed them And they did that so that when people walked past or when they walked past, they were reminded of what God had done for them and what he'd provided for them in doing so. They were being reminded too of coming out of Egypt, the way in which the lamb was slain and it was blood was put on the doorposts and the lintel. And when the angel passed over, if you saw that, you were okay. If you didn't, the firstborn died. And they were being reminded of that. And that is why they came every year to remember the Passover. And so this, we heard on Sunday, it was Palm Sunday, the time when Jesus came into Jerusalem. Jesus went from being a hero to a villain in a very short period of time. He came to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. He'd had his disciples for three years. He taught them. He'd done miracles. And even the disciples had done miracles. And yet Jesus comes and he sits there and he says to them, One of you today is going to betray me. 
I wonder what your reaction would have been if that had been, you'd been one of the 12. And it's interesting in Luke, they'd gone from being perplexed because one was going to betray to asking the question, which one of us was the greatest? You know, I don't understand how you go from being perplexed as to, is it me that's going to be the one who's going to do it, to I'm greater than you. But that's what happened. And in Jesus' hour of need, his disciples fell short. I sometimes wonder as well, in the, when God created us and sin entered this world, why he just didn't say, right, stop there and we'll start again. You know, not a lot's happened. You know, we'll start again. But he didn't. He followed it through. He followed it through to the death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I sometimes think, you know, Jesus had his disciples for three years and we, ha- we have here an account where one betrayed Jesus, we have another who denied Jesus, and we have a third disciple who um, didn't believe that he'd, he doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead. What a motley crew they were. And for three years they'd been with Jesus. And Jesus could have turned and said, right, enough's enough. Let's start again. But he didn't because he loved them. And you know, this morning, as we come with all our own baggage before the cross, I love the fact that we have a cross in the church. It's not here just to sit in the corner. It's not a piece of furniture to re, just to uh, remind us, you know, uh, you know, things of the past. We should be focused. And I love the fact that it moves. You know, the fact that most Sundays it's in the, over there, but today it's down here with us. And we're reminded, just like the children of Israel were, every time they walk past, they remember God's provision. We're reminded today of what Jesus did for us. He went all the way to the cross for us. Jesus' death cost him everything but this morning Jesus' death has bridged that gap between God and man I know that there are I, I know there are Christians who don't like this service and don't come to it because they want to fast forward to Sunday because Sunday is the day of resurrection that is the great day that we will be celebrating in a couple of days time but we need to remember what Jesus did why he came we need to repent before God and in being re- and repenting before God we are then reconciled to him Jesus gave up everything because he loved you and he loves me and he continually loves us and when we mess up he loves us again and again and again. At the end of Luke's account it says that after they'd 
celebrated that Passover feast, they got up and they sang a song. And then they went out to the Mount of Olives. Revelation 5 says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation on the night Jesus was betrayed he was in the upper room with his disciples And he took the bread and he said, this is my body which is going to be broken for you. Likewise, he took the cup and said, this is a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. They had remembered with the blood on the doorpost. They remember that Passover. But Jesus was saying, this is a new covenant now. This is a covenant once and for all. No more bloodshed because I am going to die in your place. And when Jesus died on that cross and he cried out those words, it is finished, that veil that was rent from top to bottom, the, the place where only the high priest could go into once a year to redeem the sins of the people. That veil was rent from top to bottom. And now we can come into the presence. We don't have to do that anymore. We are here before God. So as we eat, And as we drink, let us remember that cost of the Lord Jesus Christ for you and for me. 
So this morning we've been reminded of where we've come from. We've been reminded of what Jesus did on the cross for us. We know that we have all fallen short of God's glory. But Jesus has died for our forgiveness of sins. And now we can come readily into the presence of God. We are restored. I pray this morning as we think about today. It was my sin and your sin. I sometimes think too that we, we grade our sins. But Jesus, or God, doesn't. In his eyes, sin is sin. It's black and white. So all sins, whatever the greatest sin is, whatever the smallest sin is, that's mankind that grades the sins. But in God's eyes, we've all sinned and fallen short. And so today, as we shortly be leaving here, I pray that we will continue to remember what price was paid for each one of us. And also, when you come into church on a Sunday, to look at the cross, to be reminded of what Jesus had done. And as I said earlier, it's not just a piece of furniture not something to fill a gap it's the center of our faith it's because of what Jesus did for us and enables us to come into his presence day by day at the, at the crucifixion the disciples didn't know what was coming next but we know today that three days later Jesus rose from the dead and he's alive And as we've just been singing, that he's coming back and he's coming to take all those who love him to be with him. So we gather like this to remember, but there's coming a day when we will be with him forever for all those who love him. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you this morning that we have been reminded once again your death on the cross. We haven't gone into the details of the whipping, the thorns, or any of that at all, but it it was a horrendous death. And you did it for each and every one of us so that we can have that right relationship with you. And we just thank you that we can come into your presence. And we want to thank you. We thank you that there is a redeemer. You have redeemed us so that we can have that relationship with you. And Father, as we go from here now, I just pray that we will continue to think on what we have been doing this morning. That price of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us at Calvary. Father, we want to be more like you. And I just pray that as we go from here, that we will become more like you. We we will become more like the people that you've called us to be. That we will not blend in to what else is around us. But we will be the people that you have called us to be. Because you paid that ultimate sacrifice for us. Father, we just thank you that you never give up on us. You love us and you continue. 
And so as we go from here now, we just pray that you'll go before. Be with us, we pray, uh, until we come on Sunday to that day when we will be celebrating your resurrection. What a, what a great time that will be. So as we leave now, let's just say the grace to each other. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and evermore. Amen. Amen.